Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. I want to invite you to stay updated with me on social media and see what we are doing in the ministry. You can follow me on Facebook at John Wallace. You can follow me on Instagram at Jonathan R. Wallace. And you can follow our YouTube page at New Beginnings Huntington. I pray this message builds your faith and gives you revelation. Let's get ready for the Word of God. All right, y'all, thank you so much for hopping on this stream, on this broadcast. Uh, If this is your first time, I want to say welcome. My name is John Wallace. I am the pastor here at New Beginnings Church, this wonderful building that you see behind me. This is our sanctuary. So thank you for hopping on this. Before I get into the content today, I want to ask you for your help in two ways. Number one, if you're watching this on a platform that allows you to, share this broadcast. Hit the share button. Uh, I believe... Because of the content we're talking about, this is going to help a lot of people. This is something that's not really discussed very often, and there's a lot of confusion about it. And it's definitely, even if if people know about this, it's not in practice. And I really felt the Lord lead me, uh, as funny funny enough about what we're talking about, lead me to talk about this subject and to teach about it, to show you some scriptures. And so hit the share button. This was very eye-opening to me. I I hope and pray that this brings you revelation uh, and insight. And I'm willing to bet that if this is something that you haven't heard much about, this is something that uh, many other people haven't heard much about. So you can actually partner with me by hitting the share button and sharing the Word of God to more people. If you'll like this post, uh, if you'll interact, comment, you know, hit the like button, the heart button. You can hit the little angry devil looking face button if you just, if you hate this. Any interaction helps me. So anyways, I appreciate your cooperation with me in that. Thank you very much for it. We're going to get into the content today. I'm very excited. So if, as you saw the, the title of this broadcast, 16 Reasons for Excommunication in the New Testament Church. 16 Reasons for Excommunication in the New Testament Church. I want to start this. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's read this together here. We're going to be flipping to this passage multiple times during this teaching. Uh, And I'm going to give you part one. So this is 16 reasons for excommunication in the New Testament church. Uh, I'm going to give you the first eight on this teaching, and I'm going to give you the next eight on the next, on the next broadcast. So that's pretty strong language, right? That's something that we don't really practice and we don't talk a lot about. Excommunication, cutting ties, severing fellowship. And that's very strong. And so I want you to hear me up front. You know, I know there's people that are going to mishear me, misunderstand me. I don't want you to already view this through the lens of judgment, of anger, of, you know, just a mean spirit, just wanting to hit people over the head. No, I'm not wanting to do that. But this is in the Bible, and there is a standard to be held as a Christian and as, a, as the church of Jesus Christ. And I just want to show you this because it's really not talked about and not taught about. So 1 Corinthians 5, if you have your Bibles. 1 Corinthians 5. We're going to read this chapter together. It's very short. It's only 13 verses long. So it says, Paul says to the, the Corinthian church in, in, in chapter 5, I can hardly believe the report about the sexual immorality going on among you. He says something that even pagans don't do. 
I am told that there is a man in your church that is living in sin with his stepmother. You are so proud of yourselves, but you should be mourning in sorrow and shame, and you should remove this man from your fellowship. So already, before we even get into the meat of the chapter, you see how Paul is, is talking about this. Look, you guys are talking about how you're so awesome, you're such a big church, you're so spiritually mature, you got all these gifts that you brag about all the time, but yet you have one of your members who claim your fellowship living among you in your fellowship who's literally sleeping with his own stepmother. That's crazy. He says, you should be mourning and you should remove this man from your fellowship. This is where we get this term excommunication. Removing this man, severing the ties from this person from your fellowship. He goes on to say, verse 3, Even though I'm not with you in person, I'm with you in spirit. And as though I were there, I have already passed judgment on this man. In the name of the Lord Jesus, you must call a meeting of the church. I will be present with you in spirit, and so will the power of our Lord Jesus. Then you must throw this man out and hand him over to Satan so that his sinful nature will be destroyed and he himself will be saved on the, on the day of the Lord's return. I want to break a couple things down for you quickly. You know, Paul said, I already passed judgment on this person. Y'all, I know that's very counterculture. We kind of live in this culture that just says, you know, to each his own. Everybody's got their own thorn. Everybody's just got their own cross. You don't judge me for my sin. I know somewhere down there, you know, you probably got some secret sin and your sin's not better than my sin. And so nobody walks and nobody even, I'm telling you, see this. Go on Facebook and put a scripture in that says, that you as a Christian have power to live above sin. Basically, go on Facebook and say, I don't have to sin. I can live perfect. I can live holy. Not just, well, I'm still going to sin every day. Amen. But I'm, made, I'm, I'm just perfect because Jesus chooses not to see it. No, literally, you can live above sin. You don't have to sin every day. That is a message the devil hates. Many people hate. They have the wrong spirit. And Paul said... Notice this, I have already passed judgment on this person. It wasn't like, well, he's got a good heart, you know, little Jimmy sleeping with his stepmama, you know, that boy, maybe one day he'll get it if he just sticks around long enough. Paul said, no, I've judged that because the Bible gives us clear indicators of what is and what isn't. You know, when you, when you receive Jesus Christ and you enter into the fellowship of the believers, you're making a commitment. You're making a statement to God, to man, to the devil, to the world, to, to I am now accountable to people because I have claimed that I, it's no longer I who live, but Christ that lives in me. And if there ever comes a point in my life where I begin, where I begin to uh, fall in that commitment, where I begin to not uphold that commitment, people who are in this fellowship, in this community have a right uh, to, to hold me accountable to the decision that I've publicly made, to that, that, that I've stated, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. So Paul says, I've already passed judgment on this man. And he says, uh, he goes on to say, that you must throw this man out, hand him over to Satan, so that his sinful nature may be destroyed, that he himself will be saved on the day of the Lord's return. You know, it's very simple. Paul wasn't saying this because he didn't love the person, that we're not called to love, we're called to just walk around like with a hammer and beat everybody on the head. No, but what Paul was saying is, 
look, this person, you know, they followed the biblical model, which I'm going to share with you in a moment. This person's refused to receive correction. This person's refused to repent, and he's still continuing to live in his sin. And so, therefore, he needs to be placed outside of the fellowship of the believers. That was significant to these people. That was their community. A lot of them, their businesses, you know, were built in the fellowship of the believers. So that was their livelihood. And what was Paul saying? When you step outside of the blessing of God, things aren't supposed to go well for you. You know, there's, and this is so applicable to, to people. They don't understand. There's a point where helping somebody's not helping somebody anymore. I had a conversation with a person the other day in a barbershop that was getting offended. With, Did Jesus have a vetting system? Yeah, he had a vetting system. Anybody that had faith, he, he, if they had faith to receive, they received. But there's a point where helping people isn't really helping them. You know, I'll give you a very practical analogy. If you had a cousin who came to you and said, hey, you know, cuz, I'm sorry, I, I, uh, I used all my money and, and bought drugs this month. So because I brought drugs, my kids don't got any food to eat. And, you know, I can't pay my rent. Will you pay my rent? You say, okay, you know what? I'm going to help you. I'm going to pay your rent. The next month, they come and say, because I spent all my money again, and I bought drugs, and you know, I can't pay my rent. Can you pay my rent? You do it again. Third month comes, you do it again. Fourth month comes, you do it again. Fifth month comes, you do it again. At some point, you have to start asking yourself the question, is what I'm doing helping this person, or am I just enabling them to feel comfortable in the sin that they're living in? And so therefore, because they're never a- their flesh is never able to be destroyed, they feel comfortable, their bills are paid, their lives taken care of, they know they always run back to me. They never feel the the weight and the pressure that is supposed to push them into repentance. Where they hit this rock bottom level saying, look, no one's paying my bills anymore. No one's giving me food to eat anymore. They weren't getting these benefits of being in the fellowship of the believers. And so what, what Paul was saying is if you turn him over to Satan, he'll feel that weight and that pressure and make a clear distinction. This is what life was like in the blessing of God. This is what life is like outside of the blessing of God. This is not good. This was very good. I need to get myself out of this place and get back into that place, which would be repenting of the sin and accepting the correction and then being forgiven and brought back into the fellowship of the believers. This is how sin was dealt with. So, I hope y'all are still with me. Let's look at verse 6. Your boasting about this is terrible. Don't you realize that this sin is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast by removing this wicked person from among you. Then you'll be like a fresh batch of dough made without yeast, which is what you really are. Christ is our Passover lamb and has been sacrificed for us. So let us celebrate this, the festival not with the old bread of wickedness and evil, but with the new bread of sincerity and truth. So what Paul was saying, why, why was this practice in the church? Why, what are the reasons? We're going to get into the 16 reasons for excommunication when, when fellowship had to be cut, when relationship had to be severed and people had to be turned over. Why? Why did they do that? Why didn't they just let anything fly? Let everybody just do what they want to do. Hey, you're on your walk. I'm on my walk. You know, we'll both just kind of get to the same place eventually one day. That's not the the approach that they took. Why is that? Because Paul said, even if you allow sin in in the church, 
in the fellowship of the believers, and you just let it happen. That little yeast, he says, it's going to spread and it will infect and permeate the entire batch of dough. And then what will happen? Your church will be rendered ineffective. Your church will be rendered ineffective. The church is supposed to be the gatekeeper on the earth. What we bind is bound in heaven. What we loose is loosed in heaven. The Bible says that the church should be the light. The church should be the salt of the earth. The church is supposed to preserve our communities, supposed to be leading our communities, supposed to be the source of blessing in our communities. All of these promises are for the body of Christ. But what Paul was saying is that when you allow sin, even if it's just one person and you don't cut that thing off and bring correction and I'll get into the reasons why people don't and it's because they're afraid of losing membership they're afraid of confrontation they're afraid of stepping on somebody's toes and so what they're going to end up doing and I'll show you biblical example of this is never bring the truth to that person and that person's going to live it, they're going to have the, the light that they think that they have, Jesus said, if the light that you think that you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. It's one thing to be a sinner and know that you're a sinner and know that you're not saved, but it's another thing to think that you're saved, but not actually be saved and still be a sinner and live your whole life deceived and then stand before Jesus Christ one day and realize and him say, depart from me, I never knew you. This is so extremely important. And if you allow sin, Paul says it will spread and it will infect your entire church. And your church will be rendered completely ineffective from what the church is supposed to be on this earth. I hope you're still with me. So verse 9, when I wrote you before, I told you not to associate. Look at this. Do not even associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. People are like, well, how are we supposed to reach the lost? He tells you. Look, he says, I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or who are greedy or who cheat people or who worship idols. You would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. So he's not talking about people that don't claim the name of Jesus. Right? He says in verse 11, I meant that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer, yet indulges in sexual sin, is greedy, who worships idols, who is abusive, who is a drunkard, or who cheats people. Don't even eat with such people. He goes on to say, it is not my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. God will judge those on the outside, but as the scriptures say, you must remove the evil person from among you. You must remove. Y'all, there's two, this is why it's so important. It's not good. And people need to understand this as well. You know, whenever your relationship's different with them, if you want to live in sin, and still remain in fellowship with people who are believers, do not claim the name of Jesus. Just openly say, I have not given my life to Jesus. I still live for myself. I still, you know, I still run around. I have sex with people I'm not married to. I do, I, I worship the things of this world. I have not submitted my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that's okay. Paul said, you can't get away from those people. Those are the people you're supposed to reach. 
The people that you need to stay away from are the people who claim the name of Jesus yet do these things. He says you are not to even associate with them. In fact, you are to remove them. You must remove the evil person from among you because if you don't, a little bit of yeast will permeate and spoil the entire batch. That sin will get into your church because you did not bind Because you did not cut it off, you did not stop it, you did not bind it, that sin will get into your church. And before you know it, your congregation will be overrun with sin, will be overrun with wickedness. And then you, you know, you'll be rendered ineffective in the community that God's called you to. Amen. So I need you to see this. You know, and that's the the reason I'm talking about this today, guys. The church is so disconnected. Nowadays, people just come into a church, they do what they want to do, they come in here, they cause problems, they, they play their game, they do their thing, God bless them, I'm not speaking condemnation, it's just the truth. People do what they want to do, and then what happens? Because of the church culture we've created that's gotten away, if everybody just went by this word, this problem would be solved. Because what ends up happening is people come in, they do what they want to do, they, they run their game, they do their thing, and then they get told something that offends them. They get confronted with the problem, with the issue, the way the Bible tells us that you should. And I'll show you a biblical model for this in a moment. I don't like that. So they pack up their bags, they run down the street, they go to some other church, they, they're, they're first-time visitors at some other church right down the street, and then some pastor meets them and says, hey, what, how are you? Nice to meet you. Starts connecting with them. They start telling this pastor some sob story about how the mean old pastor down the road just kicked him out and all this stuff, all these problems. That pastor says, oh, my gosh, how could he ever do that to you? Come and join my church. Come be We would never do that to you. There's no unity in the body of Christ. And so people jump around, church hop, bounce around, run their game, do what they want to do. And they're they're never left to feel the repercussion of the actions that they've committed. And so therefore, their flesh is never destroyed because they're just left feeling comfortable and accepted. Churches need to be unified. Somebody needs to come into your church. And, you know, somebody comes running into your church and... I just ain't getting it back at my church and all this stuff, or I left my church because of this. You need to really dig. You need to call some other pastors and talk and say, hey, what's the situation going on here? I'm not just going to accept this person and deceive them and make them just feel welcome and loved and cherished. They need to know, look, if this pastor has, by the Spirit of God, passed judgment and said, look, no, according to the Word of God, you need to repent, and until you repent, you, you cannot be a part of the body of Christ. That needs to be a decision that is we join together in. But churches are so disconnected. Everybody just wants to fill their sanctuary, you know, have some cool little report that shows how many numbers you're running. That's all great and wonderful. But it's not, it's not great or wonderful at the sake of compromising the word of God. Amen. So this is why it's so important. The Bible tells you, I think you get a thorough understanding why it's so important that we implement church discipline. And so I'm going to give you the 16 reasons for it. These were 16 biblical reasons, and there's probably more, but I'm going to highlight these 16 biblical reasons that you would have been confronted uh, in the New Testament church 
or excommunicated if you refused to repent. So let's go ahead and get into this. Amen. This is pretty much not talked about. I think this will be beneficial to you. Let's get into this. Number one, let's just jump right in. I'll give you the first eight today. Number one, for the 16 reasons for excommunication, what would have got you excommunicated in the Bible, in the New Testament church? Number one, refusal to repent or to make peace. So I'll show you the biblical model. You know, if somebody messed up, right? Somebody in our congregation, they're brand new. They're not spiritually mature. They make a mistake. You know, do you, you run over there and you whop them on the head and say, now you sin, you better get out of here. No, that wasn't the biblical model. There was a biblical model where you rescue that person. You bring to light, hey, this is what's going on. This is what the Bible says about what, what you're doing right now. And if they say, oh my gosh, I repent, you're right. I receive that. Man, I want to grow. I was doing that in ignorance, or I was doing that in immaturity, but I received that correction. Wonderful. Praise God. We're growing. We're moving forward. But when a person holds their hands up and says, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are talking to me like that? Who do you think you are to bring correction? Who do you think you are to say anything? There's a biblical model. This would get your butt kicked out of the New Testament church in a heartbeat. This is Matthew 18, 15 through 17. If another believer sins and sins against you. So here's two things. Number one, it says if another believer sins against you. So this is talking about if somebody sins against you, you can follow this biblical model. But if you look at even some of the earlier uh, manuscripts of this, it doesn't, say even, it doesn't even say sin against you. It says if another believer sins, period. So yes, if somebody has sinned against you specifically, you have a right to follow this model, but then people will say, well, I know Sally Sue over there, you know, there's some stuff going on that's very accurate, it's very true, it's not gossip, it's not speculation, there's some things that, that are very clear and evident right now, but I'm not going to address it, right, that's none of my business, to each his own. No, that's not the biblical model. If another believer sins, the Bible says, go privately and point out that offense. Y'all, I'm telling you, it gives us these instructions. You're not going to go over there and embarrass this person. Oh, hey, get a bullhorn. Everybody look right now at Sally Sue. Look what she's doing. Guess what? You know, that's what the Pharisees did when they drugged that woman caught in adultery out in front of everybody and shamed her publicly. That's not the biblical model. It says, go privately, one to another, privately. Hey, brother. Hey, sister. This is an uncomfortable conversation. You know, I'm not trying to get confrontational, but I really want to show you something that I've seen. Look, and this is what the Word of God says, and because I love you, because I love you, because I care about you, I don't want you to be deceived. I don't want you to be led astray by the spirit that you're giving yourself to that maybe you don't even see. You go privately. You go privately. Can you write that in the comments and when you're watching this? Write privately. If that person listens and confesses, you have won that person back. Again, it's praise God. No harm done. Let's move forward. Let's grow. God is amazing. Jesus is wonderful. He has shown each and every one of us grace when we didn't deserve it. Mercy when we didn't deserve it. Amen. I was thanking the Lord yesterday. I said, Lord, I'm 25. I've made so many dumb decisions. Even since I've started ministry and following you, I look back at my life and think, man, there's a hundred things I wish I could have done different. But he showed me mercy and mercy. But the thing is, you know, the Lord showed me. He said, John, 
I've showed you mercy, but you've always had a heart. The moment that I bring biblical correction into your life, whether that by my spirit, by my word, or by uh, proven leaders and ministers, you've corrected, you've shifted. So, yes, I've shown you that favor because you've never dug your heels in the sand and said, no, Lord, I want this sin. You can't have it. I want to keep it. He said, you've never done that. You can't be that way. You have to be open to change, open to receive. You've got to get to the point where you want everything that God has for you. And, 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 and you're committed to that. You're committed to changing and growing. Amen. So if, if that person confesses and listens, you've won that person back. But if you're unsuccessful, so if that person says, you know what, who are you? You can't, you know, you have no right. You think you're all righteous and holy. They start trying to dig up stuff. Uh, you take one or two others with you who agree, who are in agreement. Hey, this is an issue it needs to be dealt with, right? One or two others with you so that everything may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If that person still refuses to listen, you take your case before the church, before the mass of people and say, look, we have seen, look, it's not just me. You think, well, that, that person's just out to get me. He's just after me. No, it's not just me. Look, these other people have seen the same thing. You can trust us. You can trust them. Oh, maybe it's just you. Y'all have your own little clique going on. It's just you. No, look, now you bring them before the council, before the entire church, and say, look, this issue is not right, and it needs to be addressed, and it needs to be fixed. If that person won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. So if that person, no matter who you are, what you say, that's just how I feel about it. That's just how it's going to be. The Bible says this was grounds number one, reasons for excommunication, a person that refuses to repent or refuses to make peace, refuses to repent, refuses to make peace. I hope that helps you. This was the biblical model. So as we go through these other reasons, all 16, you know, again, no, at, no, at no point did they just look at somebody and immediately say, oh my gosh, you know what? You messed up. You stumbled. You know, let's expose you and humiliate you and throw you out. No, this was the model they went to. We're going to go privately. We're going to try to counsel. We're going to pray. We're going to, you know, see if you're willing to re accept, to repent, if you've given yourself to this spirit or if it's something you've done in ignorance. Amen. Number two, let's go right into this. So the second reason for excommunication in the New Testament church, number two, causing divisions. Can you say causing divisions? This is a huge thing. Causing divisions. Romans 16, 17 through 18. And Paul says, now I make one more appeal, my dear brothers and sisters, watch out, be on guard, be watching for people who cause divisions. There are people who cause divisions and upset people's faith by teaching things contrary to what you've been taught. Look what the Bible says, stay away from them. What does that language infer? These people that come in that are just coming in and going into homes, going into a church, creating divisions. I'm going to give you the definition of division in a moment. The Bible says you need to stay away from them. They're not welcome in your fellowship. They're not welcome to just, well, we just care about them and we're going to bring them in here. And maybe one day down the road, you have to understand there's different classes of people. There's sheep, there's wolves, and there's wolves in sheep's clothing. There's people that are sheep, that are genuine, good-hearted people. 
that want, love the Lord, want to serve the Lord. There's wolves. They don't pretend to be sheep. They don't pretend. They don't claim the name of Jesus. They're blatantly, hey, this is what I'm about. There's no question about it. And then the Bible says that there's people that are, that are dressed like sheep. They bow like sheep. They go where the sheep go. They try to join with the sheep, but they're not sheep. They're wolves in sheep clothing. And it's a spirit that's driving them. Why? To come in here to divide, to bring discord, you know, to bring division, to bring separation. The Bible says, stay away from people like that. Such people are not serving Christ our Lord. And they are serving their own personal interests. By smooth talk and glowing words, they deceive innocent people. Somebody that comes in here with their own personal interests, they come in here because they want something that benefits them personally, and so they start creating divisions and trying to get people on their side because of personal interest. This is straight from the scripture. It says stay away from them, that that was in the grounds for excommunication in the Bible, causing divisions. Let me tell you what division means. This is the definition of division. It means the action of separating something into parts. The action of separating something into parts or the process of separation, uh, uh, the process of being separated. So people go around and they come into a congregation. They start creating little subgroups, trying to turn people against their leaders, trying to turn people against their pastors, having their own little private meetings, creating a subgroup. That's, that's division. That's Bible division. Any person doing that, the Bible says in verse 18, are not serving Christ our Lord. If you ever see a person doing that, you don't have to wonder who's right and who's wrong. They are not doing that by the Spirit of God. Jesus said that person's not even serving Christ. Now guys, it's not rocket science. Let the word guide you. You will not be shaken when the devil comes to distract you, to confuse you. Just let the word guide you. Somebody's doing something like that. A situation like that arises. Look straight to the word and say, look, I know that you're not operating by the Christ's spirit. This is not the Holy Spirit. This is not from God because the Bible literally tells me to stay away from people that are doing exactly what you're doing. Amen. They start trying to, they start gossiping. They start creating these little subgroups. They start creating these divisions. This was stay away from them. Do not allow these people in your fellowship. Another definition of, uh, of division is disagreement that leads to discord. Disagreement that leads to discord. So I want you to understand this. It's okay to disagree with your pastor. Okay? It's okay when you're growing and you're learning to disagree, to think differently about something, to have questions about something. There's a right way to handle that. There's a wrong way to handle that. Let me tell you the right way to handle that. The right way to handle that is to go to that, your pastor or leader privately and say, can you explain this to me in the scripture? I've had so many good people, good people that I love, that they've came to my church. I teach about healing. I teach about the blessing of the Lord. I teach the Bible that the scriptures tell you that it's God's will for every single person to be healed. And you can be healed by faith. Some people don't like that message, and they've came to me privately and said, I don't really understand that. Can you help me? I show them the scripture because of, for whatever reason in their life, they're just not willing or ready to accept that. So they just move on. They say, you know what? I'm just going to disagree. And they went in a different direction. Uh, 
I, I pray they get that revelation. But guys, that, there was a right way to handle that. Now, this is the wrong way. Well, I don't like that, but you know what? We're going to do something about it. So I don't like what the pastor said, so I'm going to meet over at Peggy Sue's house. We're going to get three other people to meet over there. We're just going to get around and start talking about this gossiping. And, and that is literally what division means is, is disagreement that leads to separation, that leads to you creating subgroups and, and bringing division, dividing the body of Christ. Amen. Go talk to your leader. Be teachable. Number three, the third reason out of the 16 reasons for excommunication in the New Testament. The third reason is this sexual immorality, sexual immorality. This will be eye opening to you. I'm going to hit an issue head on that is not really talked about and that is very accepted in the church today. People say this is, you know, you're being like a Pharisee. This is literally what the scripture says. 1 Corinthians 5.11. I don't know why I closed my Bible. We're going to be in that passage. Several of the next few I'm going to give you are going to come straight from 1 Corinthians 5. Verse 11. So, 5.11 says, I meant, again, Paul says, I didn't tell you you're to stay away from People that are doing these things that don't claim to be believers, but you are to stay away from people that claim to be believers yet are doing these things. So he says in 11, I meant you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer yet indulges in sexual sin. Sexual sin. We read to the end of that chapter, Paul says, you must remove this person from among you. You must remove the yeast before it spoils the whole batch of dough. So the third reason for excommunication in the New Testament was sexual immorality or sexual sin. Can you say sexual sin? So let me, let me show you this. If you look up the Greek word used here in the, you know, the original manuscripts, what did they mean when they wrote this word sexual sin? What is that word? The Greek word is literally the word pornos. P-O-R-N-O-S. That word means prostitution. It means fornication. It means indulging in unlawful sexual intercourse. What is unlawful sexual intercourse? Well, unlawful sexual intercourse is number one, uh, sex that is engaged in outside of the covenant of marriage. And B, not only outside of the covenant of marriage, nowadays you have to clarify, outside of the covenant of marriage that's made between a man and a woman. So that's homosexuality falls in that. Uh, having sex outside of marriage, sleeping with somebody you're not married to, that all falls under the category of sexual sin, prostituting yourself, sleeping with people that you're not married to because you're making money, you're being a prostitute. All of that falls under the same category of sexual sin. And the, the definition is, the, the word, I'm sorry, is pornos. The Greek word, pornos, P-O-R-N-O-S. So the Bible says you must remove people who engage in, indulges in pornos. You must remove people who indulge and engage in pornos, in porn. This is where we get our, our English word porn from, porn. And I'm telling you guys this, we make these distinctions, but God doesn't. There's so many people that are so quick to point the finger and say, 
Yeah, you know, look, they're having sex before they're married. Hey, look at the homosexuals. Look at the gay, the gay flag and the, the gay pride movement, all this stuff. They'll point their finger, but yet they think what they're doing is not as bad as what they're doing because they're saying, well, I'm a married man. I don't cheat on my wife, but I do watch porn. I do watch porn from time to time. People take that mindset. It's all the same thing. Paul said you are not to even be in fellowship with somebody that claims to be a believer yet indulges in pornos or porn. Let me give you a statistic here. 64% of Christian men watch porn. Only 65% of men who don't claim to be a Christian watch porn. So even by the world statistics, the church is only doing 1% better than the world. 64% of Christian men, guys, that's over half. That's the majority statistically of Christian men watch porn and then claim the name of Jesus. And they probably go to a church somewhere and spend their whole lives watching porn every other week. The Bible literally says this needs to be confronted. You need to go to this person and say, look, this needs to be cut off. But what do we do? Well, you know, Brother Jimmy or Brother, uh, Brother Chucky comes over here. I'm trying to just use these aren't people. These are just um, uh, hypothetical people come over here and Brother Jack and says, you know what? I'm so sorry. You know, I've just been struggling. I've been struggling. I've been watching porn. I lost my battle. Satan got the best of me. I watched some porn this last week. Okay, you watched some porn. You know, what do we do? Number one, we just give him a hug. Let's pray. You know, you know, to each his own. You got your thorn. We got our thorn. Thank God for grace. You give Brother Jack a hug. The next week he comes. Well, you know what? Uh, it's getting a little better, but I did. I watched porn. It, Guys, there comes a point, literally, it's, the point doesn't come before very long, before you have a conversation and say, look, Brother Jack, I love you. I love you. This is what the scripture says. You need to get saved. You have not given your life to Jesus Christ. You have not died to sin and been made new and, and, and are now a new creature where it's no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. You need to get saved because right now, Brother Jack, I, I'm not just worried about your little porn struggle. I'm worried that if you stand before Jesus Christ tomorrow, that you wouldn't be in hell because you have not given your life to him. You can't. You cannot continue. This conversation genuinely needs to be had. You cannot continue to come here week in and week out and you're watching porn and think that you're going to be in this fellowship. You have a decision to make. Nobody makes you watch that porn. Nobody, you have to get serious enough to set uh, disciplines in your life. Jesus said, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If you can't stay off your stupid cell phone because you can't stop watching porn, take a hammer and smash your cell phone. It's better to smash your cell phone than to go to hell. Amen. This is what the Bible says. Have that conversation. Why are you watching porn? Hell, oh, the devil. The, the devil didn't make you do anything. The devil didn't make you eat a cheeseburger. The devil didn't make you watch porn. The Bible says in Romans 6 that sin's power has been broken off of you. The devil doesn't have the power to do anything. Just claim responsibility. I watched porn because I wanted to watch porn because I have not submitted my life to Jesus Christ and crucified my flesh in Christ. It's, it, it, and if you haven't done that, let's do it. Because until you do that, you have not received the salvation of Jesus Christ. Amen.
Y'all excuse me, I'm gonna blow my nose real quick. Amen, 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 amen. I just don't want people to be deceived because this is what the Bible says. Write this down, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. The Bible says, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not, can you see this, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't fool yourself. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols, or who commit adultery, or male prostitutes. So those who indulge in sexual sin, again, the word is pornos. Those who indulge in pornos will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who practice homosexuality, who adultery, male prostitution, that's all under the same word. Or thieves, or greedy, or drunkards, or abusive, or cheap people. None of these people will inherit the kingdom of God. Y'all, it's a serious thing. It's a serious thing. And that's why they handled sin so seriously in the church, that people just wanted to play games with this stuff. They said, okay, then you want to play games? Go out there and play games and let the devil have his work in your life. And when you get to a point where you're ready, to, really ready to do this, man, let's do it. And Paul said, the quicker we get this taken care of, the better, because I don't want you to die and go to hell. I want you to get to the point where you're actually ready to surrender your life to Jesus. Let's go to number four. Some of these are going to begin to tie together. This is really interesting. The fourth reason for excommunication in the New Testament church. For being greedy or covetous. Being greedy or covetous. This one's very simple. And I'm going to kind of quickly go over this because it ties together with the next one. But this is in 1 Corinthians 5.11. So Paul said, you're not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer yet indulges in sexual sin or is greedy. You are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer yet is greedy. You must remove this person from among you. He finishes the chapter out with saying, why must you, what does it mean to be greedy? So what the Bible's saying, if you were greedy or covetous, you were not to be in the fellowship of believers. This is what greedy means. It means greedy for gain or specifically what belongs to other people. Greedy for what belongs to other people. And you put this in the context of the definition. It means people who step on other people for the sake of self-gain. People who step on other people for the sake of self-gain. When you look at somebody... So what Paul was saying, people that come into your fellowship and they just begin to step on whoever they got to step on to get what they want in life, that is what a greedy person is, and they must be removed. The sin must be dealt with. They see where they want to get, and they know that you have something that they want or that they need to get where you want to get. So they're willing to step on whoever. They're willing to do whatever. They're willing to go to whatever extreme or length to obtain the thing is that they're wanting to have, that is uh, the Bible definition of a person that's greedy or covetous. He says you must remove this person. Number five, for the eight reasons, I'm going to give you the eight today. Number five of these eight, somebody that, worship, uh, that worships idols. So Paul said, again, 1 Corinthians 5, 11, 
I meant you're not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer yet indulges in sexual sin, uh, who is greedy, or who worships idols. This is one that's very eye-opening as well. That, you know, my first thought when I think of worshiping idols, I think of somebody worshiping like in a Buddhist temple or somebody that has one of those little weird yoga Buddha statues and they're like bowing to it with sage and incense and they're worshiping an idol. Yes, that can be classified as idol worship, obviously, but it's very interesting when you look at the definition of what this word means in the Greek when he said worship idols. The Greek definition, it goes on to say in that definition that it means a person who is a worshiper of mammon. M-A-M-M-O-N. Mammon. Many Christians have heard this term or this name mammon. Many people may not know what mammon is. So when, when Paul was talking about these people must be removed from your fellowship, those who worship mammon. Mammon. What is mammon? Mammon, if you look in, you know, even medieval folklore, even in Bible context, mammon was a demon of wealth and greed. Mammon was a demon of wealth and greed. I'm going to give you a couple of scriptural references here. Matthew 6, 24. Many people know this passage. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. You will hate one and you'll love the other. You'll be devoted to one and you'll despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. So our modern translations say money, but if you look back at even the King James, it says you cannot serve God and be enslaved to mammon. So Jesus was telling them, you cannot serve the Lord and be given to this demon spirit that drives people to greed, that drives people uh, this, 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 this greed, this hunger for wealth and uh, for self-gain, this demon, this demon spirit of wealth and greed, you cannot be given to God and given to that spirit. I'm going to show you an example of this is, this is how the devil works. Look at this, Matthew, 8, or Matthew 4, 8 through 10. Now the devil took Jesus to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. The devil said, I'll give it all to you. I'll give you the kingdoms. This was that spirit that the Bible's talking about, this mammon spirit, this spirit of wealth and greed. I'll give you all the kingdoms and their glory. I'll give it to you, he said, if you'll kneel down and worship me. Worship. Look at that word. This is what Paul was talking about, this idol worship, worshiping the spirit of mammon, worshiping the spirit of this world that, that's offering you wealth, that's offering you this success, that's well offering you this influence. Jesus said, get out of here, Satan. Jesus told him, for the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. So worshiping mammon is doing is giving in to the temptation that Jesus had. Satan tempted Jesus with wealth, with the kingdoms, with all their glory. He says, it's mine. I'll make you rich. I'll make you wealthy. I'll make you successful. I'll make you reign over all that you can see if you'll worship me. If you'll worship me. Many people don't even understand this. This isn't always some dark figure. This isn't some Buddhist statue. There's a spirit that's in this world that is constantly trying to get you to compromise the word of God, compromise the gospel, compromise what the Lord has said for the sake of self-gain, for the sake of wealth, for the sake of what we call success. And that is what the Bible calls 
idol worship, worshiping the God of this world, worshiping mammon, the demon of wealth and greed. Amen. When you begin to compromise the word of God and worship the spirit of this world to gain wealth and success, Paul said if there's anybody among you that begins to compromise what the word of God says because they're trying to gain wealth and success, they start taking the word lightly. You know, what could worshiping mammon look like? Well, Hebrews 10.25 says, Do not forsake assembling together, especially now, as some people do, especially now that the end draws near. Well, some people, I'm going to worship the Lord, but now they get a job where they say, I can't come to church on Sundays anymore. This job just pays me too well. They're offering me a promotion. If I'll just, you know, not go on Wednesdays and Sundays, if I'll take those extra shifts, they're offering me this pay raise and this promotion. You don't even know it, but you have submitted to this demon spirit, the spirit of this world. The Bible calls mammon. Paul said, if you see a person doing that, you, you have to remove that person from among you. Not immediately, oh my gosh, how could you even think about that? You whop them on the head, you send them out. No, go to that person privately. Say, look, do you understand what this, what's happening here? Do you see this spirit that's tempting you right now? This pool that's tempting you? This is what the Bible says. If that person repents, great. If they don't, you follow Bible procedure. And if they refuse to re- receive and repent, okay, You go do your thing, see how it works out for you. When you're ready to give your life to Jesus, we love you and we'll be here waiting. Amen. So this is what people will say. So you're so right there, John, from what you just showed me, wealth and success is demonic and does not belong to the believer. If what you're saying is true, you just showed all these biblical examples. That means that wealth and success is demonic. So any kind of message that preaches that you can have wealth and be successful must be demonic. Absolutely not. I'm going to actually show you. You don't have to worship the devil to have wealth and success. You don't have to. Did Jesus have to worship the devil to receive the kingdoms of the earth? No, he didn't. He was already going to go to the cross and be glorified and be given all authority on heaven and earth. God was going to give him all of these kingdoms. He was already going to have it. There's the devil's way to do things and there's God's way to do things. The devil always tries to offer you some half-back, some half-baked, cheap, knockoff version of what the will is, the will of God is for your life to get you to compromise because he, what, what was he offering Jesus? He was offering Jesus the nations without the cross. He was trying to offer Jesus the, the, the throne without the cross, the throne without the separation. And Jesus saw right through it. This is not God's way. There's God's way. There's a process. The word of God has declared this. My father will give me these things. You know, there's so many people that God wants you to be successful. God wants you to prosper. God wants to bless your household and your income. He wants you to have success. I'm going to show you many scriptures in a moment that prove this. But what will Satan try to do? He'll try to offer you some quick, get rich, quick little scheme thing, some half-baked thing outside of the will of God saying, look, uh, you don't have, if you go my way, you don't have to go through the process. You don't have to live holy if you do it my way. You don't have to pray and fast if you do it my way. He offers what the Lord already wants to give you, but his way is just quick. It's immediate, but what's the consequence? It's not, it's not at the level of what, what God wants to give you for number one. And number two, you spend eternity in hell. Amen.
God's way. He wants to bless you on this earth and you get to inherit heaven. So I want to show you, you don't have to worship the devil to have wealth and success. I'm going to rapid fire these scriptures to you. Proverbs 16.3, commit your actions to the Lord and your plans will succeed. You commit your actions to the Lord, the Bible promises your plans will succeed. So success does come from the Lord. First uh, Kings 2.3, the Bible says, observe the requirements of the Lord your God and follow his ways. Keep the decrees, the commands, the regulations, and the laws written in the law of Moses so that if you do this, the Bible says, so that you will be successful in all that you do wherever you go. Successful. So the Bible says if you keep the word of God and walk according to it, you'll be successful. God can give you success. Luke 16, 10 through 11, Jesus said, if you are faithful in little things, I'm sorry, if you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. If you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest in greater responsibilities. Verse 11, and if you're, untrust, uh, if you're untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? So Jesus said, the Father wants to give you not only worldly wealth, the true riches of heaven, but he can't give it to you because you can't even be trusted with the wealth of this world. He wants to give you greater wealth. He wants to give you all that heaven has to offer. Deuteronomy 8.18, remember the Lord your God. He is the one who gives you power to be successful in order to fulfill the covenant he, he confirmed to the, your ancestors with an oath. He gives you the power to be successful. Psalms 37:4 says to take delight in the law, I'm sorry, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. You don't have to take the devil's way. You don't have to take what the devil offers you. And and Paul says, do not allow people that have submitted to that spirit to remain in your fellowship. Let's look at number 6. This is going to be these last 3 are going to be quick. But this is going to be eye-opening for you as well. So the sixth reason for excommunication in the church. I'm only going to give you the eight today. Number six, a drunkard. 1 Corinthians 5.11. He says, uh, I meant you're not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer, yet indulges in sexual sin, is greedy, right? Worships mammon or worships idols, or is abusive, or as a drunkard, can you say drunkard? This is really interesting. So when the Bible uses this word drunkard, if you look at the Greek word, it's the Greek word methosos. M-E-T-H-U-S-O-S. Methosos. What does that word sound like to you? Methosos. I'm sure you've guessed it. This is where we get our English word meth. This is where we get our English word meth. God literally put drinking, drunkenness in the same category as where we get our English word meth. Let me ask you a question. And I honestly wouldn't be surprised if you answered yes to this in the culture we're kind of living in, the church culture. How many times do you hear Christians say, Hey, y'all, you know, after service, let's all go meet up at Chili's. Let's grab a bite to eat. Let's grab a burger. And maybe while we're there, you know, we'll just take a couple small little hits of meth while we're there. We'll just take a, we'll just do a couple little, we'll shoot up just a little bit of meth while we're there. Not enough to really mess us up, right? Just in moderation. We're going to use some meth in moderation just for fun, just for the taste. Let's use meth for the taste. 
You guys are thinking that's a joke. No person that does that should be preaching the gospel. But yet how many people that even claim to be preachers? How many people that claim to be preachers? You know, they, they film videos and in the back there's a liquor cabinet. Half drinking bottles. Hey, let's go have a leaders meeting. We're gonna eat up, we're gonna meet up at a bar and we're gonna have free drinks and we're just gonna casually drink. The word for drunkenness in the Bible is the word, the Greek word methosos. Methosos. Can I give you a hint? I'm not telling you that so you build a theology saying, well, God's okay with me doing meth then, right? No, it's not okay. Drinking is in the same category as our human minds would put, like doing meth. Obviously, that person's bound and needs to be delivered. This is the same category that drunkenness is, is put in. Drunkenness is the Greek word methosos. You know, you just have that, that casual drinking Christian culture that you have in these cities, and it's just being widespread. Pastors drink, leaders drink, pastors drink with their congregation. You have doctors, health doctors nowadays, telling you to cut alcohol out. You have pastors that are supposed to be leading churches telling you it's okay to drink. You know, the medical doctors are saying it kills your body. You have the world telling you to stop drinking and church leaders telling you to start drinking. It's horrible. It's horrible. Drunkard, drunkard, methosos, the, the meth. Do not associate with anybody who indulges in methosos, drinking, who's a drunkard, who's given over to these things. Amen. Anybody who says, well, it says to drink and not get drunk. Well, you know, then I can just do a little bit. I'll just get enough meth to not really get me high, but that still, you know, just takes the edge off a little bit. I'm enjoying. It's casual. We're hanging out. Just a little meth. Absolutely not. You'd have to be an idiot, an idiot to say that or to think that. Number seven, abusive. 1 Corinthians 5.11. You're not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer yet indulges in sexual sin, is greedy, who worships idols or mammon, who is abusive. Can you say Abusive abusive this is one thing that would get you kicked out excommunicated from the from the new testament church the word abusive uh, the 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 two words underneath that word abusive is a railer or reviler a railer or reviler let me just tell you this one's going to be quick what those words mean it means to express objections or criticism with bitter harsh abusive are vulgar language to tease, to joke. Uh, so when he's talking about abuser, he's not just talking about child abuse, spousal abuse, physical abuse. That word reviler literally means somebody that walks around telling dirty jokes, having vulgar language that comes out of their mouth. Y'all, that's just so commonly accepted. You got people that live like that church on Sunday morning, but Monday at work, hey, did you hear that dirty joke, you know? Y'all, I'm telling you, this has been eye-opening for me. There was a time in my life a few years ago that I just, well, you know, no. You know, I've repented of, of that long ago. And God's opened my eyes. And so nothing I'm saying to you is out of condemnation. These are things the Lord's taught me on my short journey. I'm only 25 years old. But this is the seriousness of it. That's the whole reason I'm doing this, is this is the seriousness of this. Things that we just commonly accept Things that we just commonly accept would have got people excommunicated from the New Testament church. Teasing, using vulgar language, telling vulgar jokes. 
Amen, Lord, let us repent and let us grow. Move forward. Number eight, this kind of ties in with two that I spoke earlier. This is cheats people. So again, 1 Corinthians 5, do not associate with people that claim to be a believer yet indulge in sexual sin, are greedy, worships idols, abusive, is a drunkard, or cheats people. Don't even eat with such people. This one ties together with, uh, let's see, covetedness and being greedy uh, and also worshiping mammon. But cheats people, just the definition is a robber, aggressively greedy, extremely hungry. You know, and, and it just means people that seek to take advantage of other people for self gain. For self gain. When you begin to cheat other people because you're trying to gain wealth, you're trying to gain some position, something for yourself, and you begin to cheat other people or take advantage of other people, this would have got you excommunicated from the New Testament church. I hope that this helped you. I'm going to go over the next eight on the next broadcast. I want to pray with you if you will join me in prayer. Father, thank you so much for your work. I thank you, Lord, that you are a good father and that you don't destroy us. Uh, you, you don't just hurt us. You don't make our children die in car accidents and our, our wives go to the hospital because you're trying to teach us some lesson. You don't plague us with sickness and disease and teach us through destruction, Father. No, you teach us through instruction, through instruction. And your word is instruction. Your word in Psalms 119 is a light unto my feet, a lamp unto my path. Father, I thank you for your instruction. As we read this word, let us grow. Let revelation come. Let things that we're doing in our life be quickly corrected as we see the seriousness of your word, as we are conformed into the image of Christ. Lord, we thank you for trusting us with the gospel. Let us be like your son, Jesus Christ, as 1 John 4, 17 says, as Christ is, so are we in this world. Let us be dead to sin, alive in Christ. No longer us who live, but Christ who lives in us. We want to be holy. We want to be holy. We want to live above the power of sin in our life, Lord. That sin has no power in our life according to your word. Thank you for that authority. Thank you for the power of the, of the spirit that gives life to us. The same spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the dead lives in us when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. You are so wonderful, Father. We give you glory in Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' name. Y'all, thank you so much for tuning into this. Before I jump off, uh, I want to give you an opportunity. If you would like to give to this ministry, I'm going to have the different ways you can give. Scroll across the bottom of the screen here. We'll also have uh, a link in the, dis or, uh, in, in the comments, pinned in the comments, if you want to see it, if this is just scrolling too fast and you're like, got your glasses on, what the heck does that say? It'll be in the comments for you. I just want to encourage you. Something the Lord's led me to do and I've led our church to do is there's different types of giving in the Bible. There's not only tithes, uh, and people don't really understand that. Giving is not just when a bucket's being passed, you throw whatever's in your pocket. There's, there's intentionality behind it. There's specific instructions behind it. Everybody knows the tithe. You give 10%. There's different offerings like first fruit offerings. There's alms giving. Uh, but I want to talk about for a moment that pertains to the season that we're in. It's called a thanksgiving or, or an offering, a sacrifice of thanksgiving. A sacrifice in thanks, of thanksgiving. This is in the book of Leviticus, where the Bible tells us that, eat, you know, 
If you want to give, he gives instructions of what the offering of thanksgiving, the sacrifice of thanksgiving looks like. But he says it must be done on your own free will. So the thing about this type of giving, this is not a tithe. This doesn't belong to the Lord necessarily. That he says you decide if you even partake in this. And not only do you decide if you participate in this, you decide the amount in which you participate in this. Why did God give us those stipulations for this type of giving? Because this giving, along with every other type of giving, it must come from your heart. This is what uh, 2 Corinthians 9 talks about when Paul is taking the offering up for for the believers in Jerusalem. And he says, don't give in response to pressure. Don't give because somebody like, made you feel like you had to. No, he says God loves a cheerful giver. Giving has to come from your heart. And what a thanksgiving sacrifice or thanksgiving offering is, is saying, Lord, you don't even require this in your, in your word. This isn't a part of like a tithe that belongs to you that, that I, I'm obligated to do because of my covenant. Lord, I just want to give something because I'm thankful. Father, thank you for how you've kept me this year. Thank you for how you've seen me through this year. Thank you for the blessings you've poured out. I want to just say thank you and honor you. Thank you that you're so good to me, Lord. I'm going to take this and just say thank you, Father. This is a gift, a thanksgiving offering to you. Thank you, Lord. Not only am I going to thank you for what you've done for me this year, I'm going to sow this in faith and say thank you in advance for what I believe you're going to do for me in 2021. Father, I want to already say thank you because I believe 2021 is going to be my best year that I've ever had. That's what a thanksgiving offering is. And nobody has to do it. And and there's no set amount of what it has to be. You have to search your heart and say, Lord, what's my best? What, Holy Spirit, what would be appropriate for me to say thank you? What would be an appropriate amount for me to really show you how thankful that I am for what you've done? And if you would like to give to this ministry, help us push the gospel forward and all that we're doing as we're growing. We're expanding this vision way past just Huntington, Texas to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. If you want to partner with us, there's the ways that you can do it. If you want to take this time to give a thanksgiving offering to the Lord, amen. I want to just pray for you as you do this. Father, thank you for my friends. Thank you for people that you've brought into our ministry. Lord, I want to thank you for every obedient Christian who's obedient to the gospel and giving, who loves you, who's thankful for all that you've done. Bless them, Father. Bless them. I stand on the promises on your word in in 2 Corinthians 9 that you said that anybody who gives cheerfully, not in response to pressure, but from an overflowing heart of thanksgiving, that you would give them bread to eat and that you would actually put seed in their hand for them to sow. And that you would increase them and enrich them in every way so that they could continue to sow and be generous. Father, I thank you that you put seed in the hand of a, generous, of a thankful child. Whenever your children are thankful and they give from, thanks, from a heart of thanksgiving, Lord, that you delight in that and you promised in your word that you would put more and more and more seed in their hand for them to distribute and sow into the kingdom. And you'd give them more bread to eat. Father, I thank you for increase according to your word. You are so wonderful and glorious. We give you glory and honor in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Y'all, I love you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning in with me as I shared the word of God. 
If you would like to become more than just a casual listener and want to give to our ministry, you can do so in the following ways. For credit or debit, go to www.nbchuntington.org slash donate. For PayPal, you can send it to NBC Huntington. For Cash App, use dollar sign capital NBCHTX20. Thank you so much. I pray God blesses you abundantly. Until next time, this is John Wallace.